This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast, episode 34. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland. They call him Gumby because he's so flexible in jiu-jitsu. We are, of course, available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, or head on over to our mothership, MMA-Manifesto.com. Click on the podcast tab. We thank you so much for listening. We appreciate the heck out of you, and we really appreciate our sponsor, Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu Mouthguard makes the best mouthguard on the market. The best, Jerry. The best. You can talk. You can breathe. You can drink. You can do it all with your Sisu Mouthguard in your mouth. They're the most breathable, lightweight, durable mouthguard on the market. Come meet Sisu Mouthguard. Hello, Sisu. Nice to meet you. You can head on over to sisuguard.com and get yourself the right mouth guard for your sport or activity. You can catch us on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Gumby, how do people catch us on Facebook? You can head on over to Top Turtle MMA and just click the like button and you will get that in your ears all the time. And, of course, you can email us at topturtlemma at gmail.com. We are currently accepting both love and hate mail. We are not picky. All right, this is episode 34. We are brought to you by CSU Mouthguard. Let's get it on, Big John McCarthy style. That makes me feel uncomfortable saying that. We are rolling Top Turtle MMA Podcast, episode 34. I did the introductions before the music. We could get right into it, Gumby. Is Damian Maya the best jiu-jitsu practitioner to ever apply his craft in MMA? Uh, he's definitely, after last time, definitely the best who's ever... In applying it to MMA, he's the best. Wait, hold on. Back up the phone. Are you telling me the Babe Ruth of MMA, Hoist Gracie, is not the best? You're saying Damian Maya is the best. I'm saying if you put Hoist Gracie with his skill levels and his whole skill set in an MMA cage, he's not taking modern-day wrestlers down and submitting them at will like Damian Maya will. I completely... Agree with you. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Hoist for, for his day, you know, give him his due. What he was doing was amazing, but the game has evolved, and nobody has evolved jujitsu better for MMA than Damian I Maia. thought John Kavanaugh said a best. Sorry to cut you off, but he said something to the effect of it was a tweet, and it was a beautiful tweet at that. I'd like to emblazon it on a lanyard and hang it up over my bathroom, but it said something like uh, it was a sequence he knew was coming. From a guy who has one of the best coaches in the game, and he still couldn't stop it. Yeah, Carlos Condit's ground game is, like, fucking legit. Hasn't been submitted in 10 years. Oh, God. And, and he's right. You know, uh, Greg Jackson, one of the best game planners in the world. There's no way he didn't see that coming, but he still couldn't do anything about it. That I mean, it's just insane what Demi and Maya is doing right now. So let me ask you this, Gumby. I always like to get your opinion. What do you do with Demi and Maya right now for a next step, a next fight? He, I, Because he's older, my thought is just put him on a shelf until you're done with the Woodley-Thompson deal. Say, say Woodley-Thompson goes down in New York like it's rumored to. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's, what, November? Yes. That's November. So say, you know, one of them wins and with an emphatic knockout, which you've got to imagine is actually going to happen. <laughs> Whoever wins is ready again for, like, February, for, like, the, the Super Bowl card. So you, Maya can fight the winner at Super Bowl. So you would like to pull a Mel Gibson in the movie Forever Young, put Damian Maya on ice, crack him out of that ice when he's ready to go. <laughs> but what I say to you on that is, wouldn't you love—I know this is fucked up to do because they're both on winning streaks and I like them both— just to ensure that I get this matchup, would uh, Wonder Boy versus Maya, style versus style. I, I love that matchup so much, but 
I think it's worth letting Wonder Boy kick Tyrone Woodley in the head first and mm-hmm. then making it a title fight. Because to me, that fight's already great. Make it a five-round fight, and it's amazing. You know, And not that maybe if we do it before a title fight, it wouldn't be a five-rounder because you'd probably make it a headliner to like a fight pass card or something like that. Right, but you want extra stakes. Yeah, I want it to be a title fight, and I want it to be five rounds. You want extra mustard on that hot dog. Because now, think, think about whether or not Wonder Boy can continue that game for like four rounds without getting takedown at least once. Right, right. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, and we could break it down if the fight ever happens. I, I would pick Wonder Boy in that, but it I'm is what sure it is. I'm pretty sure I'd take Demian Maya. I might never bet against him again. <laughs> uh, now, on the sad half of the outcome of that fight, what do you do with Carlos Condit if he were not to retire? I'm, I'm just going to say, honestly, I kind of hope he retires. Really? Yeah, and you know what? I love his fights. He's still one of the best five in that division, easily. Yes. But... I don't think he's in it anymore with his head, right? Like, even after the Waller fight, he was like, maybe I don't fight again. So could you chalk up a little bit of this loss to the fact that maybe he didn't want to fight again? I mean, the fact that he's questioned that after two straight losses, I mean, maybe it's time to walk away. Yeah, and let's not mistake things, though. If I'm Carlos Condit's sports psychologist or his buddy, I would say, hey, you lost to two of the best, by the way. Yeah. You know, so I agree. I mean, like there's no shame in the losses he took. But if those that's how he feels afterwards, he at least needs needs to take a long time away from the game. Well, I would also say we're in a new era of the UFC right now. Just sold for four billion. Reebok is on all the shorts and jerseys and pre-fight kits. You know, it ain't 2009 anymore. You see a guy like Nate Diaz go from 40 and 40 show and win to making millions of dollars in super fights. It's not all about the title anymore. I hate to say that, and I'm as nerdy a fan as you are. Well, no, I'm not as nerdy a fan as you are, but I respect the title, bro. I respect the title. And it's just like, hey, Carlos, you're still a great fighter. Go fight Nick Diaz in a rematch and at least walk away with a $500,000 payday. Yeah, I don't think that's what he's in it for, though, because I I do agree with you. I do think now in this day and age, we can't just chalk it all up to it. You can't make it to the title, retire. Right. But... In his head, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I respect that on, on his behalf because that's just the mentality of his type of fighting. Right. Um, well, speaking of fights to make and fights not to make uh, and retirement, perfect segue, the UFC matchmaker, uh, Joe Silva, employee of the company for 21 years, is retiring. Your take. Um, so it, it's, first of all, sad because he's put together some really awesome matchups. He's been with the company for 21 years. It's sad to see somebody like that go, but when I saw the clickbaity title on a whole bunch of websites, I was a little bit worried he was leaving because he hated the new ownership, knowing that he's doing it just because he got a buttload of cash in the deal. He had some form of equity and obviously got a payout. Yeah, and he got a payout to the point where he can retire and never have to work another day in his life. So good for him. Uh, Sean Shelby's always done a good job, right? Sean Shelby was with the WEC for a while, and he still does... I want to say featherweight and down. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Joe Silva was down to just doing uh, 155 and up. Well, I think you were also saying off air, and I agree with it. It's like, you know, it's not – he was only doing 50% of the work at this point. Yeah. So it's not he, like this we, – They weaned off of him anyway. Right. And he, this is what I was going to say, maybe a mini rant on it, but it's really more about MMA media, which is so many people were quick to try to make a story out of this because of the ownership or try to insinuate that the game would now change and blah, blah, blah. And it's like that does not give credit to what the UFC – 
UFC has become. I mean, Joe Silva, by and large, was, in essence, middle management in a massive corporation. And you know what? These kind of guys come and go in the NFL, MLB, NBA. We don't even think about it. We don't talk about it. Obviously, he's more front and center. We see him at weigh-ins. He comes into the cage to shake fighters' hands. And yes, I get it. I'm going to miss that. Yeah, I miss that too. (laughs) But he's a matchmaker. So, you know, it's not a perfect comparison, but it's not giving UFC its credit. It's a a machine that is built to go on despite who they lose. Yeah. It, it ain't losing Dana. It's not going to change the face of the company. Uh, it's something we're really not going to notice. They're going to go about making the same kind of fights they always do. And you know what? At the top end, you know that Dana and the Fertitas were overruling him on half the shit he yeah. wanted to do anyway. And not to mention, too, he's probably got three guys working directly underneath him, and they just promote one of them, and he just becomes Joe Silva Jr. I'm done talking about it. Here's a fun thing to talk about. How about uh, Fight Pass Belfast? you want to talk about that? Ooh, love the headliner. Yeah, so why don't you give our adoring public what it so is? So Dong Hyun Kim is going to fight uh, Gunnar Nelson in Belfast on Fight Pass, which Damn. is really exciting to me because uh, Dong Hyun Kim started to fall in love with his, his striking recently. Uh, even though he's like a well-noted grappler, he's going to go up against one of the best grapplers in that division. Obviously, Demi and Maya excluded. Um, but Gunnar Nelson, also just, you know, outstanding grappler in black belt and karate, too. So uh, definitely interesting skill sets to go head to head. Yeah, that's a that's a badass matchup. I'm picking Gunnar Nelson, by the way. I I think I'm gonna always pick Gunnar Nelson just because I love the Jits. Uh, he uh, this is by the way November 19th on Fight Pass, coming to you from Belfast, and that's cool too because Nelson is an adopted son of the country, so yeah. uh, you know he'll have plenty of fans in the building. Yep, uh, works with Kavanaugh too, so that's a home home field advantage. Now speaking of November, I'm just coming up with all these great segues. Cowboy Cerrone went on the Joe. Rogan experience. It's a shame it's such a small podcast that not enough people listen to. Uh, and Cowboy said that he had a uh, fight booked for 205. They might have announced this by the time this podcast drops, but we, as of taping, don't know what the announcement is. But Cowboy said it's an incredible fight. Your thoughts? Uh, I think it's got to be Robbie Lawler. It's what's been rumored in the media for the last couple of days. Robbie doesn't have a fight lined up. Um, and I think it just makes a lot of sense from an action standpoint, right? Like, that can't be a boring fight, can it? No, absolutely not. I think it, um, you know, it'd be awesome. But what if I just throw this offbeat idea at you? What if it's Conor McGregor? Oh, God. I I didn't even consider that, but I don't think it can be. I think just because, you know, I said it last week, I don't believe that Conor will fight not for a title next. Whether it's his own or somebody else's, he will fight for a title. I still said it. uh, I said it last week, and I still believe it. I think it's the dumbest quote-unquote punishment I've ever heard in my life when Dana White said, he's either stripped of the 145-pound title if he doesn't fight Jose Aldo or penalty, second prize, not a set of steak knives. No, he gets to fight for the 155-pound title. Okay, dude. Yeah. Like, And then I love there was some semantics with Dana White went on a radio show this week and said, we're not stripping him of the title, but he would have to give it up. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. That's, but that is, okay. 
I give up Dana White. And GSP doesn't want to fight anymore, right? That was actually the next thing I was going to see. The next thing I was going to segue to, which was GSP, uh, it just continues to go on and on in the media. Dana says he doesn't think he wants to fight. GSP says he does want to fight, but they're working out contracts. What do you do here, Gumby? This is getting ridiculous. I think you just ignore GSP until somebody actually books a fucking fight with him. (laughs) I, I love that rule. So let's talk about someone who we know is fighting, but it won't be for a year from now. Rory Mack debuted in Bellator, at least in an interview segment uh, last Friday, very reminiscent of professional wrestling. Uh, You know, he can't fight yet. He's going to do some work on his nose, which got busted in the Lawler fight originally, continued to keep breaking, apparently, uh, and affected him in the Wonder Boy fight. So we won't see Rory in Bellator for about a year, mid-2017. But how did you think they handled everything? Uh, I mean, it's weird to me that they cut promos like that. I just think it looks kind of cheesy and I don't know not not the way that I grew up watching MMA so if that's the future so be it but uh not pr- particularly appreciated on my part um and it's weird that we're not going to see him for a whole year I mean what do you say about that like do you think the buzz is kind of off by the time it comes around? Because, I, you know, I'm sort of with you on that. As excited as I am that Rory, who's a very relevant fighter, the most relevant fighter to ever go to Bellator, no offense to Phil Davis, no offense to Benson Henderson, but, uh, you know, it'll be about a year since he last fought at that point. We'll have had maybe even a Ronda come back, a couple of Connor fights in there. You know, at that point, I think if they could have struck, like, right now, like, hey, Rory's fighting Michael Venom Page this fall, but... We're not getting. So I agree with that to an extent. But then again, they did the same thing with Benson Henderson. They booked him immediately. And did you watch either of the Benson Henderson? Well, I watched the second one, but no, I did. And I watched it after the fact, but no, I didn't watch it live. Yeah. Anyone else. So they were and they booked him immediately. They were like, and he's fighting for 175 this weekend right now. Right. Come watch it. And everybody was like, meh. And then he got beat. So then when they were like, okay, well, he's got a contender fight for the 55 title. Everybody else was like. Meh, again. You know, so I don't even know if they did that right away with Rory if we would have cared. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, I just don't think there are enough names to match him up with for me to get excited anymore. They're letting people walk out of Bellator left and right. Marcin Held. Yeah, Marcin Held already signed with the UFC, and I'm pumped. The dude's 24 and a killer submission artist. But do you think that, I mean, I've always said that they should focus on one or two divisions. 170 and 155, they are building those two rosters. Yeah, I'd say that, but like, I don't know. Once Benson lost at 170, they're like, well, that's because he's a 155-er. Um, but who's, you know, off the top of your head, who's the champ at 170? Uh, the Russian name I can't Yeah, Krishnikov <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't even know his name well enough off the top of my head. <laughs> I know his first name's Andre, Andre Koreshnikov. Koreshnikov. Koreshnikov, okay. okay yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, how do we get excited about a division where the champ is somebody we don't really know or care to watch? Yeah. You know, and think about the 155-pound division. Who's the champ? Uh, isn't it Pitbull? Oh, no, wait. Michael was, Chandler. Yeah, it was Michael Chandler. Okay, so it's right. Michael Chandler, he, he but to get the Michael Chandler lost to... Uh, Pitbull. What? No, 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 I didn't lose... Oh, Eddie Alvarez. Oh, uh, who did he Well, he lost to? to Eddie Alvarez twice. Oh, but... the dude who just signed in, uh, what's it called? In yeah, he Fart lost Ross to Pearson. Will Brooks. Will Brooks. Brooks just lost Couldn't a... Couldn't think cl- of the name. He just lost a crappy... F- or Will Brooks just won a crappy fight against Ross Pearson. So how do you get excited about the guy he trounced in, in Bellator? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you. So, yeah. so you got two divisions that you're right. They're building a little bit more steam behind, but then you let somebody like Marcin held walk and you've got champions walking around who aren't that exciting. So 
I, I don't know. Not for me. I'd rather watch Michael Chandler walk out of there and, and fight in the UFC or Benson walk and fight in the UFC again because um, it's just not interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm looking at it now at 170. Koreshkov, uh, Paul Lima, or Douglas Lima, Paul Daly, and Michael Venom Page, and then a huge drop-off in my opinion because then you have Adam McDonough, who's 11-1, and one, and I just don't even know. Yeah. So uh, you're right. There's something at the top, but, like, how long until those are exhausted? Yeah. And they're not booking Michael Page with anybody of name value anyway. Fernando Gonzalez is his next fight. Right. Michael Page, though, is an exciting fighter to yeah. watch oh, and absolutely. one I want to see in the but, UFC. And, and they're, they're taking him so long to get to the top. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that about does it. Uh, I've had all the Bellator talk I can handle for one podcast. We got a chance to check uh, check in with Joey, the KO King Gomez. We talked to this guy. We really liked him. Uh, he's a Team Quest product. Big Dan Henderson guy. He will fight Jose Alberto Quinones, uh next week uh, at UFC Fight Night 94. Or actually, it's in two weeks from now, September 17th. That's in Hildago, Texas. And we will play you that interview right now. But I want to mention this interview is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting is the best MMA gym in the western Massachusetts area. It's mine and Gumby's home gym. No gi submission grappling is the specialty. We go to tournaments. We wreck fucking shop. We are big in the no gi world. Gi, eh, not so much. But we have it one day a week. We have it one day a week, people. And we also have stand-up fighting. And we're good at that, too. So come on down. Amherst MMA, A-M-H-E-R-S-T-M-M-A.com. Check it out. Dave Roy, Kirik Jeunesse are the instructors. Head on over to the website. Find out more about them. Find out more about the gym. Come on down. You'll be treated with a choke, a hug, and a smile. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with UFC fighter Joey Gomez. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I'm here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are speaking to Joey Gomez, who fights Jose Quinones at UFC Fight Night 94 in Hildago, Texas, on September 17th. So, Joey, let's jump right into it. Um, so you took your UFC debut fight in uh, with about two weeks' notice against a very dangerous opponent in Rob Font. You know, what felt different about that fight going into it, uh, obviously with like much less time to prepare for a big-name opponent? Well, it, first off, like, it was a big-name opponent, you know, Rob, being on, like, a 10-fight win streak, you know, in the UFC. Uh, I only had 18 days to prepare, and uh, it was just the whole experience. It was a little kind of, it was kind of surreal, like, watching, like, watching, you know, uh, TJ Dillashaw sign freaking posters with me, you know what I mean? Like, I just, it was a lot, really, really fast, and it wasn't that I was overwhelmed, like, I was ready for the fight. It's just, maybe I was a little, like, uh, starstruck and or I'm just going to have to go with overwhelmed. <laughs> now, it's an interesting thing when a fighter makes their debut on short notice. Was the thought process like, hey, I'm getting the call. I got to answer the bell. Did a little part of you say to yourself, like, eh, maybe I could pass and try to come back when I'm actually prepared to fight and have, like, a full camp? Or was it just one of those things where you and your manager were like, nope, got to jump at the opportunity? No, absolutely not. When the UFC calls, you answer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they want you to fight your mother, you fight for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
I like that. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about training for this fight. So, uh, I mean, you've trained before at Quest and Link and a couple of other places, but we saw that you're doing a, a little bit of your training now at Syndicate MMA in Vegas with uh, John Wood, who's a friend of the show. Um, what's working out with their team like, and how did that come to be? Uh, well, I was only in Vegas for the UFC 202, uh, the Diaz McGregor 2. Never heard of it. And uh, <laughs> Never heard of them. I know, a bunch of bums. But uh, uh, Hendo and my, myself and Dan Henderson were both in Vegas, and I called up Hendo and said, hey, let's get some work in. And he's like, cool, meet me at Syndicate at 11. So I showed up at Syndicate, and we just, you know, we just worked out. So I was only there once. You know, I met a bunch of the I met a bunch of the coaching staff, and I met a bunch of the fighters, and they were awesome people. They were super welcoming, and you know, they didn't break me, thank God. So uh, that's the only time I was down at Syndicate. However, uh, after I fought Rob Font, I was like, I need to, you know, move back to Team Quest and just you know get back into the swing of things. And uh, for the first time in my career, this has been uh, me just training full time. Like I'm not working at all. All I do is train. And uh, it's amazing. You know, I've got a strength coach. I've got a Muay Thai coach. I've got an MMA head coach. I've got a sports psychologist. I've got a nutritionist. I've got a manager. So, like, I'm doing everything the right way. That's awesome, man. So maybe you could give uh, our adoring listeners a little bit of background then. When did you originally go to Quest? How long were you with Team Quest? Because we thought you were from New Hampshire at Team Link. So maybe give us the background a little bit. Like, when did you start training with Quest, and how did that come to be? So I started training at Quest in 2009, uh, after I got off the military the first time. And uh, I trained with them from 2009 until 2012, when I suffered a, an, an injury. I broke my fibula bone training for a fight. And uh, in order for me to get surgery, I had to go back into the military. Now, when I went back into the military, they de- I got deployed uh, post-surgery. So I got the surgery. Six weeks later, they sent me on an airplane, and I, I was, uh, you know, I was gone out of the U.S. Uh, then when I came back, I resumed training with them in late 2012. But my, my wife had decided that she wanted to stay in New Hampshire for a little bit longer. So being the awesome husband that I am, I picked everything up, uprooted, and we moved to New Hampshire, and uh, I stayed there for almost four years, and I, you know, I met up with Ed Carr at Team Link, and, you know, that we became my home base, and I trained with those guys, you know, for a long time, you know, for almost three years, I'm sorry, almost almost four years, and uh, great group of guys, some of the toughest guys in New England are coming out of that gym, you know, guys like uh, Nicholas Alley, uh, Walter Cotito, Ken Murphy, Carrie, I never can say her name, it's just Carrie. And, uh, you know, nothing but love for those guys, but I wanted to be, you know, back with Hendo, which is where I started, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and what an amazing mentor to have. What's that been like working with the, the legendary Dan Henderson all these years? Dude, it's, it's, it's kind of like... It's kind of like having a dad that can beat anybody up. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, so speaking but, uh, of... I mean, I was exposed to stuff... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, speaking of that dad who can beat everybody up, uh, obviously, as he, he gets ready for the big title fight, the big rematch that everybody's talking about, what is it like being around him as that's going on? 
it's awesome. You know, this kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Being exposed at such a high level of training at such a young age, like I started, I started being ex- like you know training alongside of Dan Henderson and, and that whole crew at 23 years old. You know what I mean? I'm I'm 30 now, so I'll, like seven years is just it's been incredible. And anytime Dan has a fight, it's amazing because the who's who walks through the door. Whether it's Chael Sonnen, you know. We've had Jeremy Stevens come through a couple times, uh, KJ Noon, uh, Scott Jorgensen, Kit Cope, Joe Warren. Like, you know, everybody, like, does Luke Rothold. And so everybody comes by and, and, and just says, you know, wants to be a part of helping Dan and, and, you know, comes out, checks out the gym, and it's great. Yeah, that that sounds amazing. Now, do you have any insight, being as close as you are with him, training with him, when he fights Michael Bisping for the title in October, uh, what is that going to be? UFC 204, I believe. Is If he were to win, is he really going to retire? Is this it? I just have trouble thinking if he wins, couldn't he just defend that belt one more time? We all want to see him keep going. Right. I, I said the same thing, but I think, uh, I think he, I, from what my understanding, he said that that's going to be the last one, uh, which is, sad to see him leave the sport, but I'm also excited because that means I get more time with him alone as a coach, so <laughs> I mean, it's a bittersweet type of thing. Nothing long, wrong with a little greediness. Uh, so let's let's kick it back to uh, <laughs> let's kick it back to talking about your fight, uh, obviously, because that's what we came here for. So, uh, you know, when you fight Jose Quinones, uh in Hildago, Texas, uh, what can we expect uh, from you in the cage, the UFC cage for the second time that's going to be way different, and what's your prediction for that fight? You know, I'm training to go, I'm training for five rounds, you know what I mean? Even though it's a three-round fight, we're still training for five. And, like, so everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised when they see the difference between 18-day Joey Gomez versus eight-week Joey Gomez. And I've been getting ready, as soon as we got to, uh, to California, as soon as I hit the ground, it was, like, you know, three days since we got here. And uh, I'm in incredible shape. You know what I mean? My, I, I'm learning again, which is, you know, huge for me. And, like, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm doing my jiu-jitsu. I'm doing my striking, obviously. So they're going to see a well-rounded, you know, Joey Gomez that can go anywhere and be comfortable. But, obviously, I'm trying to get that $50,000, and I'm going to try to knock this fool's face off. <laughs> I like it. Knock this fool's face off. Well, you heard it here first. This has been Joey Gomez. He fights Jose Quinones at UFC Fight Night 94 in Hildago, Texas on September 17th. Joey, we cannot thank you enough for giving us some time here, and we would love to catch up with you down the road after this fight is over. Absolutely, man. Can I give a shout-out to a couple people? Go for it. I just would like to thank uh, the boys at Home Corp. They've been helping me out, you know, helping me finance my camp, uh, as well as, you know, Mario Soto, my sports psychologist. I also like to give a huge shout out to everybody at Team Quest, all my training partners, as well as uh, the Freedom Felony crew that hooked me up with my uh, my signature key, my signature key. And uh, I would love to do that, guys. You know, make sure you follow me on on Twitter at Gomez the First Thirty Five and Instagram at Gomez the First. Boom! I love it, Joey. Thank you so much. Can't thank you enough for coming on. Appreciate it. No problem, brother. All right, there you have it, Gumby. 
Joey Gomez. Yeah, uh, really interesting dude. Uh, I think the stuff that he said about um, all the injuries he had, uh, having to leave Team Quest, uh, coming back to Team Quest, his love for Dan Henderson, just one of the most interesting interviews from a guy who not a lot of people know about. Yeah, I really liked him. I would like to actually uh, get him back on next week, potentially, like the week of fight week. He was just so well-spoken. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to hear like what's going on in preparation. Yeah, well, maybe we can uh, maybe we can hook that up with him. I like that dude. I like that dude. All right, we'll turn our attention now to UFC Fight Pass this Saturday. You get a pretty kick-ass main event. Uh, it's coming to you from Hamburg, Germany, and it is headlined by Andre Arlovsky versus Josh Barnett. I know you're nerding out for this because you're a massive Arlovsky fan, <laughs> um, so I already know who you're going to pick, but let me give you the setup nonetheless. Andre Arlovsky is one and two in his last three. Beat Frank Mir by decision. Brutal fight to watch, sorry to say. Lost to Stipe Miocic via TK. It's the fight that propelled Stipe into a title fight. Then lost to Alistair Overeem back in May. So he is one and two coming off two knockouts in a row. Tough times for your boy Andre Arlovsky, the pit bull. Uh, he needs a bounce back, and he'll try to do it against Josh Barnett. Barnett is coming off a loss to Ben Rothwell. It was a submission via a go-go choke. Quite surprising back in January. No one could have predicted that. First time... Uh, Barnett's been submitted, I think, ever. Is that correct? I'm not sure in, if it's ever, but it, it was the first time, times, even if you count grappling contests in like 10, 10 years. 10 years, right. That's what it was. He has three submission losses, so I take that back. But before that, he beat Roy Nelson, or as the Brazilians would say, Hoy Nelson, via unanimous decision. And he lost to Travis Brown via KO, vicious elbows, as he tried to take down way back in December of 2013. So he is 1-2 in his last three. Who do you have? I mean, you know already that I'm going to pick Arlotsky. Why? A, friend of the show. B, one of my favorite fighters of all time. But let's let me give you the C. C. Yeah, let's get the yeah. C. So let's get the C. So C, if you try to draw a path of, to victory for Josh Barnett, the only real way is through the ground, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine him standing and trading with, you know, the power puncher that Arlotsky is. Mm-hmm. Somebody who put Fedor on wobbly legs and, and him walking out okay with it. So... When you think about whether or not he can get Arlovsky down, Arlovsky's takedown defense has been exceptionally good in recent times. Um, I, I think his takedown defense has come a long way. And in addition to that, um, you know, the fact that, you know, it starts on the feet. So uh, whether or not he can get Arlovsky down is uh, definitely a question. And even if he does, don't get me wrong, Barnett is a very well-noted, uh, you know, very well-noted grappler. But Arlovsky is also a master at combat in uh, in Sambo. So, yeah. I mean, underrated ground game there. All right. Very well said. And uh, I agree with you. I, I see the path to victory for Barnett only being on the ground uh, if it stays standing. I agree that it falls more on Arlovsky's side. He, of course, is the plus 125 dog to Barnett, the minus 150 favorite. But Vegas doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, the you're going to want to get some money on that. <laughs> uh, we move then to the co-main event. You have Alexander Gustafsson fighting Jan Blankowitz and Gustafsson, uh, sort of apropos that we talked about Carlos Condit at the top of the show, a fighter thinking of hanging it up because he can't hang at the very top. Gustafsson, somewhat at the same career crossroads. He beat Jimmy Manawa um, back in March of 2014 with a TKO, then lost an Anthony Johnson in a title eliminator via TKO in his hometown of Sweden, one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. Then got a title shot anyway later that year and lost via split decision to Daniel Cormier. Rocked Cormier with a knee, I believe, in the third round, if I'm not mistaken, but couldn't get the job done. So he 
he is one and two in his last three. And I think they gave him this Blankowitz fight to kind of get the wind back underneath his sails. Blankowitz is coming off a decision over Igor Pogracic. 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 Uh, that was a decision win, but he lost to Corey Anderson via decision and lost to Jimmy Manoa before that. So he is also one and two in his last three. Who you got? Yeah, I got Gustafson. I mean, this isn't a hard one to pick. You're right. This is a fight to get Gustafson back on the right track. The guy is the person who has become the closest to being a champ without ever being a champ. Mm -hmm. I mean, on so many people's scorecards, he beat John Jones. Uh, I mean, at least on one judge's scorecards, he beat, uh, you know, Daniel Cormier. So, I mean, like, beating two of the best guys in the world right there and still, I mean, not having a title around your waist. Uh, and, and Jan Blankowicz is not uh, of his caliber by any stretch of the imagination. I expect this to be brutal. As does Vegas. Uh, Gustafsson, the minus 750 favorite. You could get, Blank you could get Blankowicz around a plus 500 dog. We move now to another exciting fight on the, on the ballot, and this one also at 205. You have Ilir Latifi, who in some circles is just known as the Sledgehammer. Maybe one of the coolest nicknames ever. I want to be called the Sledgehammer from now on, Gumby. Will you call me the Sledgehammer? I won't. Uh, and I'll also throw out the we, we did give uh, number one nickname honors to Chase Sherman when he was on the show, the Vanilla Gorilla. Love the Vanilla Gorilla. <laughs> uh, and I, I agree with you. I don't deserve Sledgehammer. Uh, I do not have Ilir Latifi's knockout power. Uh, Hans Stringer, uh, Sean O'Connell both went down to Ilir Latifi via KO. And then he got a unanimous decision victory over Gian Volanti back in March in a very boring fight. But he's on a three-fight win streak. His last loss came against John Blockowitz via TKO. Uh, Bader, on the other hand, is coming off a devastating uh, fight against uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson. Uh, knocked out. Uh, Johnson had a sprawl. Or sorry, uh, Bader had a takedown. Johnson sprawled, and the fight was over from there. It lasted a minute and 26 seconds. Before that, uh, Bader beat Rashad Evans, beat Phil Davis, beat Ovin St. Preux, beat Rafael Calvicante, beat Anthony Parashi. was on a five-fight win streak to uh, have it stopped by Rumble. Who you got in this fight, though? So this one's tricky for me. I mean, if, if I'm thinking just who I think is actually going to win, I'm probably picking Ryan Bader here. Um, just because I like his wrestling a little better, I think his stand-up is more well-rounded. Elor Latifi is more of a one-shot home run kind of guy. But if you're thinking about betting on this one, I'm guessing Latifi's a pretty sizable dog, and that one-shot KO power at least makes it interesting to think about it. Not as huge a dog as you'd expect, but yes, a dog, you are correct, plus 175, yeah. Bader a minus 210 favorite. So that's like right around the, the level where I might think about putting money on him, but probably wouldn't. All right, but I like the way you sum that up. I do believe Bader to be the better all-around MMA fighter. Uh, I could see him grinding out a decision win here. We won't need to break out uh, each fight individually, but why don't you give us the Gumby uh, kind of view on maybe fighters to look out for, up-and-coming prospects, offbeat people, an MMA nerd such as yourself would know and like. I mean, first of all, there, there's like two or three guys who are like well-established on the undercard, um, men and women. Ashley Evans-Smith, absolutely awesome prospect uh, in the women's bantamweight division. Rustam Kabilov was headlining fight cards a little while ago. Um, and of course, you got to give it up to Taylor Lopolis, who is fighting Leandro Issa, uh, both of which are very legitimate prospects at bantamweight. Um, but what I'm really excited about for this card is there are a couple of new signings that are really exciting. Uh, Judo Jim Wallhead uh, has been around MMA for a really long time. He was in, I think, three different Bellator uh, tournaments. And, uh, you know, it's kind of just been around the, the European 
MMA scene for a while, finally getting his UFC chance at 31 years old. So that's really exciting. Uh, Jack Hermanson, uh, really, really, really big Scandinavian guy uh, who got his chance after winning on that Venator card, um, like a lot of guys did. And uh, a new heavyweight by the name of Christian Colombo, real big guy, fun to watch. Um, apart from that, uh, I mean, I, I think I got all the, the big ones in. Veronica uh, Macedo, Macedo um, is a, a pretty decent grappler, so she'll be fun to watch. All right, very good. Well, I'm looking forward to this. I kind of view it as an appetizer to UFC 203 the following week, which we, of course, will be back next week to break that down. Can you feel it, Gumby? That, Punk Mania. <laughs> Punk Mania is coming to a town near you. Well, actually, it's coming to Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and that's one thing that's going on on that card, but maybe uh, maybe better and bigger, and absolutely better and bigger. You have Stipe versus Alistair Overeem, that, and that that's is- a Badass fight. That's one of the hardest fights I've ever thought about picking. Uh, Dude, I've been thinking about it, and I feel you. I've been going back and forth. I'm going Stipe. I'm feeling it. I'm Ah. riding the Stipe train. I think he could. I'm going to take at least a week to think about it. Okay, we'll come back (laughs) next week. That'll be the tease. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week to preview UFC 203. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay off drugs. We'll check you later.